This is the Seraphic Saturday Podcast. The Seraphic Saturday Podcast is produced by Alexis Ame and hosted by Patrick Dupre Quigley. My name is Thomas McCarger, and this is a Seraphic Fire Media Production. Hello everyone, James K. Bass here, Associate Conductor of Seraphic Fire, and welcome to Seraphic Saturday Podcast. Today I have the wonderful opportunity and privilege to talk to you about the Professional Choral Institute, something that has been incredibly important for us at Seraphic Fire. Many years back, Patrick Quigley and I sat down and talked about how could Seraphic Fire enter into the education aspect of our world but in a way that was really meaningful, something that could make a difference in the life of singers. At the same time, Patrick had a long relationship with an amazing work called The Vespers of the Blessed Virgin by Claudia Monteverdi. So he decided that he wanted to create a project that would allow him to investigate the Vespers in a way that had not been done very often. And that was something that he gleaned from the cover page of the original edition printed by Monteverdi. On this cover page, it says this Vespers can be performed at high feast days, but also used in princely chapels. For those of you that may not be familiar with the term princely chapel, it is a private chapel for the aristocracy of Europe and generally was very small, not a place that you would have large groups of musicians. So Mr. Monteverdi puts in the score itself that you can perform this entire monumental work with just a continuo group, a small group of musicians. So Patrick had been kicking this idea around for years. But at the same time, he wanted to really elucidate and make the choral parts even more interesting. And one of the ways to do that was to have a second choir be there to sing the larger, more full moments. And then Seraphic Fire would sing all of the concerto and solo moments. So this idea got married to the idea of education. At that time in my personal life, I was the director of choral studies at Western Michigan University, which had a wonderful choir, but didn't really have any access to the professional world. So this idea was born. That Seraphic Fire would come to Kalamazoo, Michigan to record the Vespers with Western Michigan University Chorale. So over the course of two years, Seraphic Fire came to Kalamazoo first, 
we worked with the singers, the student singers for a week and recorded our very first nationally released recording. And I remember for me and for the students, it was super exciting when we got to see on the iTunes top 10 most purchased list, our recording of the Vespers. It was truly a groundbreaking moment for all of us. The second part of that project was a year later when the singers of the Western Michigan University crowd came to Miami and we reprised the performances for all of our audiences in Miami. And then we took the entire show on the road to Mexico City. The reason I tell you about this entire project is because we knew after this that this was a successful model. And we knew and could measure its success by the fact that many of the singers, the student singers that participated in that two-year project went on to become professional singers. The very first guests we're going to have today are two wonderful singers that were involved in that educational project of Seraphic Fire. Andy Van Allsburg, baritone, and Logan Shields, who was a tenor at the time uh, when we did the recording, but is now a soprano, are both rostered singers in the most, one of the most famous professional choirs in the world, and probably the most famous in the United States, Chanticleer. Well, it's wonderful to have you both, Logan and Andy, with us today, and we know that you're very, very busy with your own performing schedules, but we're glad that you're able to take some time for our Seraphic Fire podcast. Well, both of you were involved in this very important first major Seraphic Fire educational initiative, this Monteverdi Vespers residency, a recording, and then a subsequent tour of Mexico City. So thinking back to the experience itself, what are some of your most important memories? And they can be musical or otherwise, meaning just things, uh, maybe even just about the music. Andy? Sure. I am, I'm very much an experiential kind of learner. It helps me to really get my, get hands on and, and experience it for myself. This opportunity was exactly that, you know, not only did we get to perform an incredible piece of music and work with an incredible uh, professional ensemble, but then we got to take it on the road and work with them, performing with them to actually see what a professional choral musician you know, how, how they live, how it works, how touring works. And, and now that I look back on it and think back on it, it was very much a great precursor to Chanticleer touring. It's very similar. You're just on the go. Sometimes you've got a little bit of time off to enjoy a beach or, uh, or a couple of sites, but you know, you just, you love what you do. You love to share the music. And for me, this experience was just so invaluable to teaching me exactly what it was going to be like. And it's, it's vocally grueling. I mean, I was there singing with you, so I, I understand some of that experience. And, and you, in Chanticleer, the amount of nights that you're on the road doing master classes, singing, performing, managing the voice and the body. Uh, during that time, during this first project, the Monteverdi is such a demanding piece. And we were rehearsing, recording, performing, traveling every day. So I'm sure in that way, it must have helped you. How about you, Logan? What were your, what were your highlights from the actual experience? One of the things I really think about now and in hindsight, I know I realize more now than I did then. I learned a lot about humility, I think, through you mentioned how grueling the process can be. And, and it's, it's not like a 50 minute choir session where you show up and you just have to be perfect for 50 minutes and you try and knock it out of the park. And I think experiencing vocal management myself, but also seeing it happen to other performers that that really kind of 
it kills your ego a little bit. You're like, oh yeah, we're all, we're all human. And, you know, so I learned a lot about that. And um, actually I had drifted in and out of school. Do I want to go to music school? Do I want to go for dentistry? Something, you know, I was thinking of all these other ideas, but nailing that piece down with, with everybody and uh, presenting it was like, oh, I want to hear the Le Tatu Sum chant every day. I could hear it every day. Those are some big takeaways that still kind of resonate with me to this day. I still feel very much the same way about that piece. There's, there just doesn't seem to be a moment of the Monteverdi Vespers that I couldn't listen to every day. And people often ask us, we get this weird question a lot, like what would be your desert island piece, you know, your desert island music? And somehow Monteverdi always sneaks in that list for me. Uh, there's so much beautiful music in there. And and Logan, I know you weren't involved in the recording, but you were being you were around Kalamazoo and you were around uh, Western Michigan's involvement, at least oh, yes. clearly prior to. And uh, that recording, this joint project with student singers, professional singers in a short term, high impact kind of white hot moment ended up being in the top 10 on the iTunes list for sales and ranking. Either one of you just jump in and tell us a little bit about what that meant for your experience as a student at the school in the time or a point of pride, or is it something that's still involved in your resumes and cover sheets today? Oh, wow. It was absolutely a point of pride. I mean, we got to join the recording academy at 20. <laughs> Who gets to do that? 2021, 20, 22. That was an incredible experience. And uh, just to, to kind of crack the surface on what it was going to mean uh, to be able to do this for a career was very meaningful. And it's certainly a point of pride for us uh, at Seraphic Fire to, to take the amount of time and energy to try to create these uh, opportunities and initiatives for young singers to then see and experience two singers like yourselves now living this life and contributing so deeply and so richly to the art form that we also make. So you went from that point of being student to being colleague and co-creators now in the field of choral music. So to wrap up our conversation, we've talked a little bit about this, but is, is there anything uh, that you might draw a direct line or a straight line experience from that time and how that prepared you directly for your life now in one of the most important choral ensembles in the world. Logan, let's start with you. This piece, actually, I, I got to perform this piece again uh, later in life, right actually, right after I had auditioned for Chanticleer. So having sung through the quintus and some of the tenor parts, I was you know, kind of ready vocally in terms of, oh, I've managed this piece before. I, I guess I have an, a really big emotional attachment to this piece because after I had auditioned, I believe it was like Valentine's Day for Chanticleer, uh, uh, like a month later, my our precious dog died, our little pug. And so like they, they said, there's not an opening, but we want you to come out. You do the audition, a month later, your dog dies. A month later, you're performing Monteverdi's Vespers. Like, this is my saving grace. Like I have this piece, I have memories with this piece. I'm thinking of, you know, Mexico City. I'm thinking of Florida. I'm thinking of Western and, uh, and it was like, I think a week later, I got a call offering me a job in Chanticleer. So like, in a weird way for me, that direct line, even though there might be multiple, it's not quite a straight line. I was, I remembered again, like that piece, something epic always happens. Yeah, that's beautiful. Logan. You have a very, very intimate um, relationship with this piece. And uh, it's so amazing that you've gotten to do it uh, more than once. I, I haven't had the pleasure yet, but I hopefully will get to do that by, before the end of my career. Um, like I already said, there are many 
many similarities, kind of a direct line, as you said, James, from the tour experience we got with uh, Seraphic Fire and Western Michigan Corral to our life in Chanticleer. You know, we many times have done two hour programs and that is a, it's very rigorous, uh, very taxing, can be on the voice. And you really have to know how to vocally manage, like you said earlier, Logan, to be able to know exactly what your individual needs are as a singer and to just treat your body well, you know? There were, the, I believe the, uh, the Monteverdi concert that we did was, was around 80, 80, 90 minutes, correct? I, as I recall, actually, it was about, what was it, five to 10 seconds away from filling a, a regular CD, audio CD? That's totally true, you have good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh wow. But that's a, you know, that's quite a demanding piece. And although we, uh, we did get a bit of a break during solo moments from the Seraphic Fire members, it's still nonstop, you know, we, we would finish a movement, we would transition, uh, many times blocking to another location, sing immediately again, and it was just a, a nonstop sort of experience. And then, you know, we'd be somewhere else the next day. So very much so a, a fantastic um, precursor to what life in Chanticleer was going to be. From that idea of the Monteverdi Vespers, Patrick and I regrouped again and thought, how can we do this, but now on a national level and inspire and educate even more professional singers? So it was at that time that the actual title, Professional Choral Institute, came into being. It was also at that same exact time, right after our tour to Mexico City, that I moved my educational life to the University of South Florida in Tampa, who had just built a $65 million performing arts center and school of music. So as Patrick and I were brainstorming, he said, well, why don't we use that brand new beautiful facility as the home base for the Professional Choral Institute? But instead of just using your choir there at USF, let's hold national auditions. And so we did. There was a national all call, student singers and some young pre-professional singers sent in auditions, they sent in letters of recommendation, and from that we created a roster of about 40 singers. Once we knew that we were going to have some interest in this, Patrick then had to come up with the idea of what would we be performing as the centerpiece and the nexus of this project. One of the things that Patrick had been kicking around again for years was the idea of performing the Brahms Requiem, but in a less performed version 
called the London version. And in this version, it calls for either two pianos or one piano, four hands. And so that became the idea for Professional Choral Institute number one, as it became known. I have a wonderful story uh, about that process because as we were uh, getting the thing organized and ready to go, I knew that a piano had to be involved with this, obviously, and USF, as a part of the new building, had purchased three nine-foot Steinway pianos at a cost of $685,000. So in my mind, I thought, well, any of these pianos should be able to work for this project. But no, I was wrong. Our wonderful producer, Peter Rutenberg, contacted me prior to our PCI dates and said, well, I need to come to Tampa and audition the pianos. And I, I was really scratching my head and I said, audition uh, the pianos? And Peter, thinking like a great producer does, said, well, James, not all pianos are quite the same, even brand new ones to the level of your Steinways. Seraphic Fire agreed. We brought Peter to Tampa and we arranged for a pianist to come in and play some repertoire. And lo and behold, I discovered Peter was right. One of these pianos rose to the top, which was a New York Steinway. We had two New Yorks and one Hamburg Steinway. And I was secretly wishing for the Hamburg Steinway because Brahms was born in Hamburg. But no, it was the New York Steinway with the last two numbers in its serial number, the 79. So it became known as the 79 New York. And that is the piano that was used for this very special project. And so after we recorded this very wonderful version of the Brahms Requiem, it went on to be nominated for best choral performance in the Grammy voting. Carrie was a participant in the 2012 Professional Choral Institute that occurred at the University of South Florida in Tampa. Welcome, Carrie. Hi, it's glad to, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's get started. Let's take the time warp now, and we're going to go back to 2012 and talk specifically about your experiences at the Institute, the Professional Choral Institute itself. What are some of the standout memories you have from that? They can be musical memories or even otherwise. There were so many wonderful experiences there. It's hard to pinpoint one or two, but on many different fronts as a singer, both professionally and personally, I had 
some wonderful memories and lots of great learning experiences. One of my favorite things that I remember from it is meeting the members of Seraphic Fire and how kind and generous and experienced they were. It was a wonderful example for us as students of what it means to truly be a choral professional in this ever-growing field that we're in. I would say musically, if you'd indulge me, I would say the Brahms Requiem Movement 6 is probably my overall favorite. It goes from death where is thy sting to praise be the Lord, essentially. And, and it goes from this wonderful, big, big homophonic, dramatic moment to this beautiful fugue. And just, it takes my breath away, even when I hear it now. We went on and did a formal recording, which became an international release through Seraphic Fire Media of the Brahms Requiem in this version for forehand piano. So tell us a little bit about the fact that you now know that it went on to get a Grammy nomination and what were those those sensations and feelings like for you knowing that you were a part of that amazing project? Well, even, even without the Grammy nomination, I knew I was part of something special being able to be on a professional recording with a group such as Seraphic Fire and knowing the level of excellence and musicality that they bring to everything that they do, I knew that that was something that I, that I was going to cherish. It's quite wonderful. But then when you add in the fact that we got nominated for a Grammy, well, let's just say it's still on my resume and will be forever and ever, amen. It was a wonderful thrill to have that kind of recognition. I can echo that amen. It's also on my resume. <laughs> it will be there forever. And I'm so wonderful that we had that experience together, all of us, yeah. But how did the PCI experience maybe even just change your perception on music making, especially in the ensemble world? It made me realize how prepared you need to be when you think you're over-prepared, you could probably be a little more prepared. I know that when you're standing next to and in between people who are doing this in different groups around the country um, and they come to sing with you, you better be on your game. And now we live in a world, this is now eight years later, where we have lots of different groups out there making music in the world. Seraphic Fire was a big part of leading that way and I'm glad to have been a part of it. Well, it certainly has been really wonderful catching up with you, Carrie, and uh, we really appreciate your time with us this afternoon. Thanks again for having me. It was wonderful to see you.
From Tampa, PCI made the great trek westward. It was time to find a real artistic partner, a place that PCI could become rooted and be around some of the most important student musicians in the world, and that is the Aspen Music Festival. So three and a half years ago, our executive director, Rhett Del Campo, began negotiations with Aspen as to whether PCI could become a permanent in-house institute, which would bring the artists of Seraphic Fire to Aspen to do performances there on our own, but then to also have this educational interaction with the nationally auditioned students interested in the Professional Choral Institute. In 2018, we moved out west to the Aspen Music Festival in beautiful Aspen, Colorado. It was an incredible experience to be sitting in what I think is one of the most beautiful geographic locations in North America, the high altitudes of Colorado nestled between enormous mountains, but still on the ground, just doing the same things we do so many places across the country and specifically in Miami, and that is the seraphic fire sound, our process, the ability to take singers from all around the country, bring them together and meld them into something that is absolutely exquisite, which is at the heart of what we try to model for the student participants of the Professional Choral Institute. As we were rehearsing in Aspen, many times I was struck by seeing these individual students coming from around the country and their dreams and their passions and remembering what I was like when I was in my 20s and what I thought the world would be like after. And it's an amazing experience as an educator to see these students evolve right in front of our very eyes. One of those students is Mr. Max Airy. Welcome, Max. Hi, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Lovely to be here. So as we've mentioned earlier in the podcast, the Professional Choral Institute moved itself to Aspen, the venerable music festival in Aspen, Colorado that uh, predates Seraphic Fire by many, many decades, but is known around the world as an incredible incubator of all types of artists, including composers, performers, conductors, and of course, in our case, singers, and now the ensemble artist world. So tell me a little bit about the musical experiences that you had there, and were there any particular musical moments that stood out, something that was just very resonant to you personally? Yeah. Every day was so jam-packed with music. Uh, so whether it was presenting the, the music for worship at the, the church that we rehearsed at or, or Mahler 2 singing the fifth movement, I have written in my notes OMG next to it. I know you love Mahler, and it was it it was such a a wow moment for me. I, I think saying love Mahler for me is a is an understatement. Maybe maybe an unhealthy obsession or infatuation is a more correct definition. But <laughs> what other musical moments did you really enjoy at PCI? Um, we we got to do a lot of master classes and stuff with um, a bunch of the the Seraphic Fire members, um, and getting to to see my fellow classmates singing with them and interacting with them was fantastic. Honestly, I think that's my number one takeaway from the from PCI was 
the the networking that I got to do and the people that I got to meet and make music with for two weeks, it was fantastic. And you're a tenor. As a bass, I will not in any way hold that against you. We loved you. We need the tenors. But <laughs> during PCI, we tried to uh, match the voice types with a coach that is on the artist roster for Seraphic. Tell me about your experience with your coach. Yeah, so I got to take a voice lesson with Patrick Muliza, um, uh, and he, his approach to, to the voice and to how I was singing, he had a lot of really, really fantastic ideas. Excellent. Well, I, um, I know we at Seraphic Fire are incredibly grateful for all of you young artists that took a chance on our new venture of the Professional Choral Institute at the Aspen Music Festival. Uh, in the year that you were there, we got to work with the artistic director, Robert Spano, in the performances that you alluded to earlier, Mahler too, but also uh, Bach and many, many other wonderful things that happened at Aspen. Max, we're grateful for the time that you offered us today and to our listeners for a podcast, and we wish you nothing but the best with your immediate and long-range future. Thanks, Max. Thank you so much, James. Thank you to Max for spending some time with us today and sharing those wonderful memories, just as our other guests did. We are glad that you also joined us to hear about something that's really important to us at Seraphic Fire, education and specifically the Professional Choral Institute. If you or if someone you know is interested in learning how to enter this world of the professional ensemble singer, then Professional Choral Institute is probably something that would very much interest you. We're looking for singers from all over North America and Europe, if you're so interested. You can go to seraphicfire.org for more information about the Institute in general. And each year, our audition requirements are relatively simple. But being able to record and sing uh, something from the Baroque period and something maybe modern, you can join the family of the Professional Choral Institute when we are again in Aspen, hopefully, the very next summer. We've been running virtual options of this the last uh, summer and this year too, if you're interested in participating in the virtual Professional Choral Institute, and we're looking to be back live and in person making some of the world's greatest music in 2022. I thank you so much for joining us today for the Seraphic Saturday podcast and wish you all the very best. James Bass signing off.
I think if I talk, I kept talking basically nonstop, so then the birds will never show up, but you'll have to listen. listen. No, it's, no, it's great. They're going to go in the outtakes. Don't worry. <laughs> well, just going to make an introduction. Uh, Alexis, I may, our, uh, her title is a million, it's got a million things on it right now, but she's... Queen of all trades, yes. Exactly. There you go. We'll just call her the queen of ceramic fire right now. <laughs> Woohoo! You rock. Nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, she's a, I say, a recovering opera star. 